So how's your brain today? I think you're going to love this edition of Woman Work and Wine Wednesday. I'm Donna Carlson, work-life strategist, helping women to design strategies to make work and life work for you. And this podcast is telling the stories of everyday women just like you and me. Like Deb Gordon, who is a program director at Moody Theological Seminary Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program. She loves helping women to live a full life inside and out. We both agree on so many things when it comes to your mind, your body, your brain health, how you develop healthy thought patterns and how you overcome the patterns of the past that are tripping you up. She has some great, great wisdom to share. So grab yourself a glass of wine, maybe some girlfriends, and sit down and join us. In your business. So um, I just want you to spend a little bit of time telling our listeners a little bit about Deb Gordon, your background, how you chose your field and what you love to do most right now. Absolutely. Um, so I wear a couple different hats. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I am also a program chair for a master of arts in clinical mental health counseling. Some days I think I have the largest business card <laughs> of any <laughs> professional out there. Um, yeah, I, I love working with people and helping them develop and achieve their purpose. Um, And so, you know, kind of what drew me into the field was a desire to really problem solve. I mean, if we go back to kind of, you know, the traditional assessment tools, I I score develop on a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) whether it's strength finders or MCOR, which, which is a motivational tool. And so I love developing people and then kind of got into the academic side and really found a passion in developing programs. But, um, I'm really passionate about, you know, conversations around people's mental health and well-being, whether it's in the marketplace or um, whether it's in their personal lives. And so that's what I spend a good amount of my time doing. Well, it's good to have you on the show during Mental Wellness Awareness Month. Yeah. I've been really focusing in my uh, life strategy page on Facebook on um, strategies for mental wellness. And I think it's for some reason, it's hard for us to talk about this in the workplace. And I wonder if you're seeing that in your world and if you have any insight on debunking this stigma around mental wellness so that we can really help each other. Yeah. It's interesting because I kind of navigate two worlds where I feel like mental health and mental wellness is sort of a stigma. Um, I teach and I run a program that's housed within kind of a faith-based institution. And, um, and so you've got the marketplace and then you've got sort of the, the spiritual side of mental health and wellness, which isn't always, um, they don't always mesh well together. So mm-hmm. I do think that uh, just conversations like this can be a starting point for breaking down this stigma. Uh, and I'm always encouraging people to be open and willing to share their stories because the more we talk about it, the more uh, we recognize how many people really do struggle with mental health and wellness. I mean, if we're talking just, um, you know, kind of standard mental health diagnosis, the, the statistics are like one in five people mm-hmm. are experiencing some type of mental health challenge in any given year in the United States. Right. I just uh, included that, that statistic in a press release I did last week. 
and it was talking specifically about how work-life integration can really help in preventing, um, you know, those, the sluggishness of thought and even just a depressed mental state. Yeah. And I think there is a bigger focus in, in companies on workplace wellness and work-life strategy so that people really can bring all of who they are to the table. Yeah. I'm curious to know from your clinical perspective, what are the types of issues that women particularly struggle with the most in terms of mental wellness? Mm. Well, first of all, I would say women in particular are their harshest critics. I think we set very high standards and in many ways we have to, I mean, even though we're seeing an evolution in the marketplace in terms of women executives and women leadership, there still is oftentimes a double standard that women have to balance so much in order to achieve. And so we place a lot of pressure on ourselves, which can certainly lead to increased rates of anxiety and depression. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very holistic person as I've learned that you are too. And so, yeah. you know, what we ha- what we experience at work and what we experience at home and in our personal lives is all intertwined, honestly, no matter what your gender. But um, yeah, I, I definitely see in, in my clinical work um, and in my coaching and speaking, that's a, that's a huge one. Women experiencing just overwhelming levels of anxiety from the pressure that they have um, either self-imposed or other imposed in the marketplace. I would think it's interesting that we have such high standards for ourselves in bringing that into the workplace. And there is a, a heart connection um, when it comes to having kids. They do feel like an extension yeah. of yourself. It's really hard to separate from that. And that's why when I was serving on an all-male leadership team and I got a text message that my kid's ride didn't show up at school, it sent me into a tizzy. Because I knew there was no one else watching this. Yeah. And all the other men in the room had their wives at home going to pick up the kids. Yeah. (laughs) And it it taught me, it was a a learning moment for me that, number one, um, I put way too much pressure on myself to cover this. I really needed to give um, that responsibility back to my kids to know who to call if no one shows up, rather than to pull me out of an executive team meeting. But... Um, another thing is, um, you know, to, to work out a backup, if my husband is truly in a place where he's inaccessible, there has to be somebody else. We have to work together and, and partner on this, but somehow we think we're supposed to be able to do it all. Oh my (laughs) gosh. It's so true. It's funny. I had a, (laughs) well, yeah. I mean, I think again, you know, we're, we're, we enter into the workplace, I think already with the expectation of obstacles we have to, we have to overcome. Yeah. And so I think we kind of come in with this mindset and then we are still dealing with a lot of policies and communication and kind of traditional ways of thinking that were established more by, you know, the historical male leadership in the marketplace. And that's evolving and changing, but it's slow. I mean, your story Mm -hmm. reminds me of a story. So I'm in academia. So usually by the end of the year, you know, we're kind of wrapping up and um, sort of spring cleaning. And I'll never forget my, my second or third year, in my position, um, one of my co-faculty, and, and for the first couple years I worked here, I was the single female faculty in a group of men. And um, and I'll never forget one of my colleagues, and they're wonderful guys, came came by and he was, you know, talking about cleaning out his office, and he kind of made a joke about his wife coming down to help him out. And 
I was like, wow, that's a, you're so fortunate to have that and be like, I, I'm a single. And so, you know, while they have their wives and supporting and encouraging them, I don't, I don't have the husband on the other side that they do. And so it was kind of like this double whammy for me of, of, you know, they had the support, but then also kind of placing their wives in this traditional role and realizing mm-hmm. like, I'm a woman and I'm, I'm the only single person. And so I'm navigating this uh, yeah, on multiple levels. So very, very different place to be. Yeah. So how do you create a support network for yourself as a single woman? Yeah. So I am very much a proponent of modeling what you teach. And we take a very wellness based approach in the counseling program that I, that I oversee and teach in. And so I feel it's imperative that I model for my students what I expect of them. So I, I have a day, I, I will say I'm not always good, I'm not always perfect at this, but at least one day a week where I am completely off grid. So I don't check emails, I don't respond to work-related phone calls or text messages, um, and I don't do any type of grading or administrative work that's connected to my role. It's just a fun day. I get together with friends, or I go out and read a book, or I walk around the city. I live in Chicago, so that's critical. I love Chicago. Oh, it's such a beautiful city. It's such a fantastic place. Yeah, and that's hard. I mean, I think that's one of the things I also see in the clients I work with is this fear of disconnecting, yeah. because we live in a connected world, and you know there are people that are willing to be connected twenty four seven, and we mm. kind of fear those people taking our jobs or taking our responsibilities, but you know, I think we have to recognize there's always going to be a loss to every choice that we make. And do we want our own mental health and wellness to be the loss? Hopefully the answer to that is no. Right. Making those choices uh, requires understanding who you are and and really what you're in this for, what your purpose is. I I work with my coaching clients on creating a decision-making matrix that Mm. is based on their values. So it takes the whole Um, decision-making complexity out of the equation because when you're aligning with your values and with your end goal or purpose, it becomes so much easier to choose one way or the other, to choose one outcome or the other. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I, this is a really good question to talk to you about because of your, your research and your exposure to the field. I have, um, a client who has an amazing ability to self-regulate in a corporate setting, mm-hmm. even when her personal life is in crisis, she can show up at work and rock it. Wow. And I, I consider that on an EQ scale, like tremendous emotional regulation. Oh yeah. But, um, you know, some of us really struggle with that. Some of us have a hard time coming to work and leaving the problems at home. Yeah. And what makes the difference there? Oh, yeah, that can be hard. I mean, you know, I tended I tended to operate from the perspective that regulating our emotional state is just like working out at the gym. It takes mm-hmm. consistency and intentionality. Yeah. And, you know, just like your matrix is a discipline for decision making, I would say um, our 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 focus, our attention is, is very similar. So I'll encourage clients that are struggling with that boundary um, uh, by saying, okay, 
have a spot in your office, whether it's on your phone, because we can use smart technology to our advantage, even though sometimes <laughs> it's yeah. to our disadvantage, right? True. Or a notebook that you carry with you. And when those worries that are impacting your focus at work pop up, jot them down and actually have a time on your calendar, as silly as it sounds, where you're allowed to worry and you're allowed to stress. And mm -hmm. if you can't make it through a work day, you know, you want to set yourself up for success. So maybe it's 10 minutes on your lunch break, or you have a coffee break in the afternoon, and you go, okay, this is my time to worry about all these things happening outside of work. And when that time is up, I'm going to box them back up, and I'm going to come back to them later. And nice. just giving yourself that permission can have a huge impact on the ability to kind of regulate and set those boundaries. Well, and it, it dials back to mindfulness too, being completely yes. present where you are and um, it, it can happen in any given setting. Your mind can start to wander back to a conversation, a fight with a friend or, um, or just a disagreement with a coworker. And um, we call it rumination. When I worked for the Center for Creative Leadership, I kept this picture of a cow on my desk <laughs> because <laughs> rumination is like, you know, they they actually chew on the food that they've already swallowed. They bring it up again. Yes. It's so gross. It's a great reminder that that's not a good thing to do. Yes, it's You've so true. Got to put it aside. And, you know, cows have, what, five stomachs? So they can do that. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, to, to realize that we're just not created to sit and ruminate on things. And one of the, the um, fixes that I've read about recently that I totally agree with is taking care of it right away. Mm, if you, yeah. if you can take care of that disagreement or whatever's causing conflict in your mind, if you can have a conversation to resolve it right away, that's, that's the, the best possible way to, to take care of it. And what's interesting is in teaching feedback skills to managers, mm -hmm. even after spending two days in the classroom with me, they're still not giving each other feedback. Yeah. And they're not having those crucial conversations. What do you think stops us from doing that? I think there's a couple things. I mean, one I think is, is time. We, we, we tend to minimize or deprioritize those conversations mm -hmm. to, unfortunately, to our detriment because they're so important. Um, but I think the other thing is it's an uncomfortable conversation. And yeah. if we're not intentional, our, our, our kind of automatic unconscious reaction is to avoid discomfort. The unfortunate mm -hmm. thing is it's, it's temporary discomfort for long-term gain. Mm -hmm. And instead what we're doing is we're choosing temporary comfort, which is really honestly false comfort and putting ourselves in long-term discomfort because those crucial conversations, exactly how you stated it, um, are, are, you know, oftentimes what lead to thriving in right. our workplace relationships and dynamics. You know, I think I read that there's a part of your brain, is it the amygdala that's designed to keep you safe? Yeah. And it's, it's going to protect you. And, and even in a state of conflict, will protect you from harm by causing you to shut down and not talk about that very thing that you need to solve. Yes. And we need to understand when we get that amygdala hijack so that we can do the right thing the most productive thing and, and act on it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of acting opposite to the emotion. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, when we start to feel 
that discomfort, that anxiety, that tension, you know, it's really important. You mentioned mindfulness. I love mindfulness because it draws mm-hmm. our awareness to what's really going on. We're so right. automatic. We're such reactors. And right. when we can pause, which is also a discipline, we can say, okay, what's going on? Let me do a quick inventory. I'm feeling tense. I'm feeling my heart rate's raised a little bit or I'm feeling flushed. Uh, why is that the case? And what do I need to be doing? And, and that's where we can say, Oh, okay, my brain's telling me to run, fight, flight, or, or, or freeze, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do need to stay in and push through this, because the right. outcome is going to be so much more worth it in the long run. Exactly. And I love that you pointed to the physical reaction. Yeah, of what's happening in our mind. We forget that we can actually cause pain and disease in our body by not taking care of what's going on in our heads. Yes. Isn't that amazing? It is. And it's, it's, it's terrifying and, um, and, and also really great to have this information because I think those physiological reactions are actually oftentimes more triggers than just our mental response. Mm-hmm. So in, in a way that's good if we can, harness that and pay attention and, and use that as a change agent. But the, the research on how much stress is impacting our physical well-being is really concerning. It is. Well, and it goes hand in hand with this Mental Wellness Awareness Month. Yeah. I, I just had a, a workshop in a three-day retreat, really, in March. And we spent a whole morning talking about the gut-brain connection. Mm-hmm. I Every, almost without fail that I mean my my gut brain counselors <laughs> who were there had a line everybody was so amazed with the concept that they can really impact their brain health and the their physiological symptoms by understanding what's happening in the gut and how that impacts the brain that means everything we eat <laughs> really it, is involved in, in energy and mental clarity. Yeah. It's, um, it's really, and then in, in, I can't say, I can't use words this morning, not enough coffee. <laughs> and that's probably not all that good for me. I know. Right. I know. You're Your say, brain's well, thinking too fast. <laughs> yeah. How much coffee do you have? <laughs> Which, you know, it's funny. I do actually ask my clients that. And, and I, I am a coffee first thing when I wake up. So I am mm-hmm. all for it. But it is amazing. Sometimes that's another pressure we put on ourselves. I've mm-hmm. got to go, go, go. So I got to fuel my brain to stay focused. And when I have a client that walks in my door and describes symptoms of anxiety, that is without fail a question I ask as soon as possible. How much caffeine are you mm-hmm. intaking? Mm-hmm. So, well, every good thing has a boundary. Right? Yeah, this is true. And I try to cap mine at two cups. And there are some days when I when I break that. But I just read an article this morning talking about company wellness. This whole team lays yoga mats across the floor, and they take a plank break. Every single person in the department gets down in plank and holds it for two minutes. Oh, I love it. Isn't it great? Yeah. And they, they must said have it, some rock hard abs as a team. I'm telling you, they said at first it was really hard to hold it for 30 seconds. And now they're up to 90 seconds being kind of a no brainer de facto standard. And they do it as a team. That's and, awesome. you know, I, I noticed that there was somebody in the far distance walking down the hall who was not participating 
in the plank exercise. And it just signified to me that, you know, in life, there's always someone who's going to elect not to participate. But the more that we can encourage one another into, into strategies and patterns that help keep us healthy, it, it just improves our, our productivity. And I bet you improves their results too yes. in the workplace. Well, and it's so important for us as leaders to model that and to encourage that. I, I brought on a new group of interns. So I oversee through our counseling program, um, a counseling center that serves the community. And we have nine interns that just started this week and they range in age from mm-hmm. probably 25 up to 65. And wow. so we went for a walk yesterday we took nice. this nice walk to explore the neighborhood in the city. We're right downtown. And my, my um, intern on the older end of the age spectrum said jokingly, Dr. Gorton, I think you need to take into account um, the 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 elderliness of some of your interns and their geriatric needs and I looked at her and I go I don't think I have any elderly interns and I was kind of joking you know um and she goes you're right you don't and off she went and she did that whole walk and you know I checked in I didn't want I wanted to make sure I wasn't pushing her too much but it's like all she needed was that shift in mindset she was seeing what she couldn't do because of her age Mm -hmm. and I was seeing what she could and I mean, she came back and we were all energized and encouraged and it was a beautiful day out. So we got our vitamin D intake Yeah, it was just a shift in perspective. I love that. You know, that, that alone is a great gift to so many people who are probably listening because I know that I have a lot of over 50 folks in my tribe and, um, you know, it's so easy once we cross that 50 sometimes in our 40s we kind of start getting there give ourselves permission to start to break down and talk about the things that aren't working anymore yeah and I have to catch myself constantly because it it is a little frustrating when some things don't work as well as they used to it's true yep I hit a milestone birthday this year so I'm in that 40 club too now okay there you go well, and I always thought when I turned 40, I said life begins at 40. I, I felt like I had a whole new lease on life. Yeah. Um, and yet it's also the decade when the macular degeneration starts and your eyes aren't working as well. And you might start yeah. to need reading glasses. And, yeah. And then at 50, you know, there are other things that start breaking down. And, and um, it's so easy to start saying, okay, well, I'll give my permission myself permission to back off on this expectation because, well, I am, you know, 52. But honestly, I keep telling myself, no, um, I'm fine. My knees are fine. I need to give them a rest because we're going to work hard again tomorrow. And and I'm not going to talk about my bad knees and I'm not going to talk about my whatever disease that um, gives me uh, pain or, or, or worry um, my sister used to have, um, something with her, um, with her, um, GI system. Mm. And every time she would talk about this issue, she would use the word my, oh, well, my, what, whatever it was, is acting up again. And I'm like, really? You want to own that? Is it, (laughs) you, do you want that? I mean, you talk about it like it's a pet. And she looked at me with these big eyes and said, you're right. I keep talking about it like it's a friend. 
I don't want this thing in my life. And I said, stop owning it. Stop yeah. owning it. Oh my gosh. The same is true with mental illness. Mm-hmm. I have so many people that will say, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And I'm like, no, that's not your identity. You feel anxious. You feel depressed. You may struggle with symptoms of those, um, of those illnesses, but that is not your identity. And we're going to change right. that language right now. Exactly. Yeah. Got it change out of it instantaneously yet those messages can be very hardwired yeah and you know even when somebody comes from a family where there's a history of depression mm-hmm. that becomes an excuse well depression runs in my family and mm-hmm. everybody experiences it and um, I decided somewhere around my early 40s that it was not going to run in my family anymore mm. I said, it's ending in this generation. I love it. And it's true. My kids um, have one who struggles with anxiety and she's learning how to overcome that. It's just because she's a high achiever. And um, it, you know, if you decide that depression is done and expired in your family, then it, it can absolutely be true. It's a matter of being deliberate about it and, and, when you start to find yourself tempted to go back into it, to have a strategy on hand to, to bail out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, which is having those conversations and, and recognizing the reality of what's going on and not sweeping it under the rug, denying it or, or, or being afraid to talk about it. Um, or let me put it this way people are still going to be afraid to talk about it because unfortunately there's judgmental people in the world, but being willing to talk about it, even though you feel afraid and finding those people who, you know, are going to support and encourage you and build you up because there are some things that we just, you know, we didn't choose it. We don't want it, but we have to deal with it and avoiding it isn't going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So if it's something that you struggle with and you know, you you're to the point where you have to take medication or you, or you need to go see a therapist. I'm all for therapists. I think they're amazing. Um, oh, me too. Then just, you know, jumping in and saying, all right, I didn't choose this. I don't like it. I don't want it, but I'm going to deal with it. Absolutely. Well, and having a partner as a therapist or a coach, a counselor, <clears throat> spiritual director, whoever is going to keep you accountable to keeping your mind right. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the, uh, the message interpretation of, um, the um, Beatitudes, um, there's one that says, if you keep your mind and heart right, then you can clearly see God in the world. Oh, yeah. And it, it was such a ray of sunshine to see that different interpretation of, of, of an area in scripture that I'd heard all my life. And and it was just another thing that I memorized as a kid, you know, it kind of just washed right over me until I, when I, when I read that, if you keep your mind and heart, right, that's keeping them aligned and keeping the, the truth right in front of you. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, you were talking about writing things down and I meant to mention, I get so excited on a really great conversation. <laughs> I forgot to mention, there's this one technique that I use a lot with coaching clients that, um, it's called the monkey mapping. Um, you write down whatever the monkeys are chattering in your head. <laughs> That's great. The left-hand column. And then in the right-hand column, the header is truth. 
What do I know to be true? Is there an assumption in my interpretation here that I need to debunk? And I'm going to operate on what I know to be true. And if there's something that I don't know to be true, maybe I need a strategy for asking for clarity. Mm-hmm. Because I want to I wanna learn if there's something I need to change. But until I know specifically what I need to change, I'm going to assume the best. I'm going to assume the highest interpretation. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so fascinating. And, and I'm sure this is part of the consequence of the work that I do. But whenever I read scripture, I can't help but see all of the prescriptions for navigating um, mental health and wellness, like mm-hmm. I, I, and, and yeah. how, you know, sometimes, unfortunately they've been used against us, but if you read the full context, it's like such a great intervention. Cause I always mm-hmm. think of Philippians four, you know, yeah. I, I know too often clients I work with who have a faith background who come from the church, they're told, Oh, if you're anxious, you're not praying enough because it mm. says when you're anxious, you know, or be anxious about nothing, but in prayer. And so they hear you're not supposed to be anxious. And I'm like, so they no, keep no. shame on themselves. Yeah. And then it gets worse. It's like a, this vicious cycle. And I'm thinking, no, that, that, but is a connecting word, right? It's saying, mm-hmm. when, don't be anxious. And when you are, this is my, my mm-hmm. interpretation, the DGD yeah. version, um, prayer petition. And this is what I find so fascinating. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And they've actually done research uh-huh. on how gratitude can change the structure of our brains. It changes. I, I've been onto that. And I even uh, love the way one person interpreted this. Rachel Hollis said, um, anxiety cannot live in the presence of gratitude. Mm. It cannot thrive in the presence of gratitude. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're anxious about something, start listing out loud what you're grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. I'll even encourage clients, same thing, when they're struggling to fall asleep at night because their head's spinning with all of the worry thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. go to the alphabet. One word or one statement that you're grateful for for every letter of the alphabet. And I have some clients who are like, I don't even get to Z and I'm sound asleep. Oh, are you kidding? (laughs) Yeah, I could be asleep by D. Right, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a brilliant, I love the alphabet thing because it keeps you focused on, you know, searching for that word. Yep. And uh, instead of straying off to another thought, that's good. You know, on that point, I can't, I can't omit to ask. Um, you're the giver. You're the one who um, you're doing the research, you're writing, you're teaching, you're counseling. How do you fill your own cup? Mm. I, I love my family and that includes, you know, you get older, they say your friends become your family. So when I say family, I mean, my, my, my blood family and my friend family. So I time with those people is like top priority. And it's Mm -hmm. not always easy. My family lives all over. But Mm -hmm. in general, I don't go more than two months. And they're in Colorado and Oklahoma and Oregon. Um, I don't go two months without seeing some member of my family. Nice. And, uh, and that's critical. And then my friends who are my family here in Chicago, you know, we're getting together and we're um, spending time and encouraging one another. So that's, that's really important to me. And they will, yes. they'll call me on the table because I love what I do. Yeah. And so it's life giving. It's not generally draining, but I can spend a lot of time doing it. And so the people that know me and care about me, they'll say, Hey, you got to unplug. You need to, right. you need to take a break. Um, and so that, that for me is really important. Oh, that's amazing. That's the kind of support network that 
makes a big difference. Yeah. And I love the fact that you named that it's not all blood family, that you, there's the family that, that you're born with and the family you choose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the cool thing about my story is all my family is who I choose because my blood family, I'm actually adopted, really? but it's always so hard to kind of articulate that, especially yeah. in a, in a short podcast. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I, that is a huge part of, I think what drives me to spend time with my family is that I've, I've always seen it as it's a choice. It's, I was chosen into this family and I have to be conscious of choosing this family every day. So absolutely. Um, yeah. It's one of my well, and when stories. you're ch- chosen into a family, what a great honor. You just, yeah. you feel handpicked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and when you come to visit the family in Colorado, I'm not letting you off the hook. You, <laughs> you must come. Um, let me know you're in the state because I will, I'll definitely um, have to do something with you that involves wine because I know we both appreciate that. Oh yes, um, I I'm I'm down for that. You know that this is Women Wine and Wednesday, and uh, we're listening to this on a Wednesday, and um, so you have to tell me what your favorite go-to wine is when you're like giving yourself a treat at the end of a Friday. Oh. I like a good Cabernet. I'm a mm-hmm. red, I'm a red wine person. And I, this is going to sound terrible for anybody who is, you know, like into wine and knows their wines. I pick wine based on the label and mm-hmm. I love creative labeling. Yes. <laughs> so I, I would say my last wine that I, that I drank, which was just this last week. And I wish I could remember the exact label, but it was like something to do with, um, kind of being stressed out <laughs> and I was in the midst of grading final papers and I yeah. thought and I was like oh that is me right yes. now so I, I tend to go with the mood and nice. uh, the moment oh that's great I love that I am definitely moved by the label too I think wine is a work of art it was Jesus first miracle yeah. I hold it in high esteem but the wine labels these days are amazing. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, I can't wait till you come to Colorado so you can see my collection of wine labels. Oh, <laughs> I can't so wait. Fun. Talk about people using their giftings. I love that. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm sure this person who created this label didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, for my career, I want to make wine labels. And yet how amazing is their artistry being, you know, mm-hmm. showcased all over the world. So yeah. I love that. It's, it's pretty neat. And you can buy it and gift it. Works of art. Yes. Um, well, boy, that's, that's so much fun. I even have this little group of gals. We like to take wine bottles and then decorate them. Oh, fun. And you can even cut them off and make a vase out of them. You know, lots of fun things to do. Um, not that I'm crafty or gifted in that regard, but um, anything involving wine makes me happy, honestly. <laughs> so, um I will uh, definitely, um, I have to share with you my list of Cabernets so that you'll have another, you know, little exploration to do. Oh, yes, please. Next time you go uh, wine drinking. Thanks so much for taking time. I know you have a lot going on. Um, appreciate you taking the time out of your day to oh, talk with us today. Honor. I, uh, I just, I hope, and I would love for you to share If anyone is really interested in connecting with you further, how can they reach you? Yeah, um, I would be happy to, to, to connect you with my, my social media accounts. That's an easy way. I have a website, debgorton.com. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I always say Gorton like the fish sticks. If you ever peruse the uh, frozen food aisle at the grocery yeah. store. G-O-R-T-O-N. Yep, you got it. And that is um, my social media to Twitter. It's Dr. Deb Gorton. Um, but Instagram is Deb Gorton. So those are great ways. And you can email me directly through my website as well. So, Good deal. Well, so glad, Deb. And I know that um, we have a lot to talk about. and We'll do it again. I would love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a great day. Thanks. Bye. I'm so glad you took the time to have a glass of wine with the girls today. I hope you found something that you can take back into your life that moves you from surviving to thriving in your workday and every day. If you love the conversation here, you might like to get on my mail list. Just go to 360lifestrategies.com and sign up. Heck, check out the blog or the retreats page if the subject caught your attention. There are other places where we can hang out. You need strategies for your everyday life? Look up 360 Life Strategies on Facebook or Pinterest where you can find my wine palace. Or suit your soul with everyday inspiration on Instagram at Donna Carlson 360. I hope you'll come again, bring a friend, and let us know what you think of this podcast. Heck, if you'll take 30 seconds and rate us now, we can keep bringing you strategies that make work in life work for you. Until next time.